Hello, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia. I haven't spoken for about two days because my mother made that wonderful transition from this realm into her ultra-real permanent body in the ultra-real permanent realm in heaven. She is now in heaven rejoicing. Nevertheless, it's quite emotional, especially when I was very, very close to her. This happened on June the 28th. She left into the presence of the Lord at 9.30 in the morning. And that was just as I was spending and finishing my two and a half hours of prayer. And I was praying for her at that time that she would have a wonderful, abundant entrance into the kingdom of God, though I did not know that she had passed away, but knew it could easily happen. And so it still involves grief. It still involves emotion. I went there a day later, not a day later, the same day, and um, saw her body, kissed her three times on the forehead, and pet her nice, precious hair telling her, knowing she wasn't in her body, but telling her, knowing she was beholding from heaven, telling her how much I appreciated her and loved her. She was a wonderful Christian who really raised a family and went through a lot of trials raising us kids. Some of us kids were really difficult. And she went to a lot with money and help and everything to help some of us. She, during the war, my dad and her would share their testimony in Granville Street with other Christians. They had a little street meeting out there and then they would invite people down for coffee. When I took her to the store and everything out here just not too long ago, back 2017 around there, still driving around in the car with her, my, I'd go to Costco's and I'd come back after getting something to, to meet her and there she is witnessing to someone. How wonderful. And she was that way. She witnessed to many people in her life. She always told them, very plainly, the good news of the gospel. And she was in a quartet. And so I share a little bit about that to honor her. And also, for those of you that are new, I want you to know that I'm here to share a message for those that are hungry and thirsty for reality. They want to discover ultimate meaning and purpose in their lives. There is all the solid objective evidence, which is also confirmed very strongly by our subjective experience, that what I am sharing with you is reality. It is the very meaning for the existence of all things, in fact. And so I have a website at ultimatemeaning.com where I've written a book that's a small book a flip book. It's not that small, but it's free for you to read. And all the print that is in red are links to very amazing YouTube videos confirming the reality of this from many fields of science and archaeology. In fact, they're very profound and amazing videos. You will be amazed at how interesting that book is, it goes into particle physics, showing the evidence of life after death and so on. And from other fields of science, exposing all the subtle deception and lies of pseudoscience.
claiming to be science but far from it, exposing the lies of evolution and so on. I am here to share with you that have come to know the one true eternal God. Yes, the meaning for all there is is in love, and the one true eternal God is the ultimate perfection and manifestation of love, which is the very antithesis of corruption, because this love has such integrity and purity that it is a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to love. And this love always chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice, because any lesser choices such would have a measure of corruption in it, obviously. This is the holiness of God, or you can say the holiness of his love. It is represented in mathematics by the negative symbol, or all of nature basically, which represents an indestructible foundation and also the cutting off of all corruption. And from that negative symbol is formed this ultimate positive, or the symbol of the cross, by the crossing out of that, because God's love is so great in its person perfection, that he always had that quality in his love to be able to become a perfect atoning substitutionary sacrifice and take judgment upon himself for us. And he did that in Jesus Christ. Yes, God humbled himself more than you a mere creature. He suffered more than you a mere creature so that you could choose to repent and be reconciled to God. How could you reject a love so great? There is no love that can be imagined that is this great, or that could exist that is. In fact, it is the ultimate trustworthiness that would only be worthy of containing unlimited authority, power, and life without being corrupted by it, or using it in a corrupt way. Thus, it is indicative that God is the very source of unlimited power, authority, and life, and thus the only one true eternal God and who he could be. And I love to share this at the beginning of my messages. It makes the introduction, I suppose, a little bit more. But for those that are new, I like to share a little bit. Even for those that aren't new, they, some of them just don't understand these things. It's important. And so I'm here to share with those that have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that had truly from their heart turned to God and cried out to him and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Oh, you say you don't believe in God. Well, that's a choice you're making. There's all the evidence in the world. You can go to my flip book. Do you not want to believe in heaven and an ultimate destiny for your life? There's an ultimate destiny for your life, and it's highly verified by science and many fields and archaeology, and you don't want to believe it. Come on. You're deceiving yourself. This message has been from the very beginning of time, from the time of Adam till now, that there is one God, and that this God has the power to forgive so that you can repent and be reconciled to him. Yes, I know before Christ, there wasn't the manifestation of Christ as we know it now. But God was still there in his character, 
here's something you need to understand. We believe in one God, but this one God is in three personages. And if he wasn't in three personages, he wouldn't be the Almighty God. Why do, why do I say that? Because he has to be in personage to rule in the three ultimate aspects of existence, which are beyond creation, beyond time and space, as God the Father, Father meaning originator, the one that sees the end from the beginning, the one that originates, and the word son is basically the word for, another word is expression. And the word word even is another word that means expression. Jesus Christ is the full expression of the Father. This is said clearly in Hebrews 1.3. So God must rule in personage within the creation realm as well as beyond it, as the Son he rules within it. And the other aspect of existence is omnipresence. As the Holy Spirit, God fills all aspects of existence and omnipresence with his all-powerfulness and creative power and all-knowingness. Every dimension of time, every dimension in the many dimensions that exist in the creation realm, we're in the third dimension, which is very inferior to the fourth all the way to the tenth that they know about in particle physics. And of course, it's highly confirmed by people time and time again that have some of them been dead for almost two hours and and then come back through medical equipment and doctors and highly verified to have been dead by doctors and medical equipment and they say to the doctors we saw you saying this and this and this which they could have never known because they were basically well they were dead but somehow some of this medical equipment has revived people so we get a lot of these reports these days i'm writing a book on this that's in depth so I could talk for hours on it. It's very interesting. But I'm here to share what God is wanting to say to the churches. Throughout the United States and Canada and around the world, in a time of very great crisis, now if you go to my website, either at ultimatemeaning.com or loverealize.com, you will discover that there is on the homepage many links to very good news sources that don't lie and that validate their sources to be real, unlike the news media today, which has been infiltrated the last 30 years by globalists, their communists, as well as the Chinese Communist Party. They have infiltrated every strata of society in the last 30 years. And there's all the evidence of these news people going to China, being entertained by them, being bribed by them with big money, George Soros, Bill Gates, all of these people, they've been paying off, the, they've been buying out judges, everything. And so now we have a power structure that is forcing upon the populace mandates that are totally against the Constitution of the United States, the Constitution in Canada, the Charter of Rights, and so on. And there's a battle going on with hundreds of lawyers around the world, top lawyers, getting ready to set up basically what is Nuremberg too, just like the Nazis were, because these people have committed mass murder with these vaccines. My mother had her forced vaccine. They didn't ask us, they just gave them to her. No wonder she died, most likely because of that. But I'm glad she's free, I'm glad she's in heaven, and I feel so bad that she had to go through all that suffering. 
I miss her dearly. She was so... I looked after her for 21 months in her rancher home and visited for her from about 2018 till now, 2022, in that care home twice a week. I became very close to her. But anyhow, I want to share that I... How I share these messages. The Word of God says in 1 Peter 4.11, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. That is how we, as believers are to seek, to minister to one another when we gather together. This is further explained in Revelations 19.10, where it says, Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When we worship God out of a pure heart, in spirit and in truth, with great reverence and humility, out of wholehearted love for God, we are filled with his spirit in an overflow beyond ourselves that comes forth in creative utterances, whether it's in a song or a word of exhortation or whatever it is, that can come forth beyond ourselves. And that is what I will seek to do in these messages. And what I do to facilitate that is I cast lots to get two chapters from the word of God using two independent random applications. I do it with great reverence. And time and time again, I can see that God is in the casting of these lots because these two chapters confirm each other with a common theme. Sometimes it's very strong and evident. Other times it's hard to perceive. And then you see it and you're amazed because you thought those two chapters didn't fit together. Such is the case today. And I want to share with you what I received. And I do choose a song to sing. I now have a playlist on my website at loverealize.com of well over a hundred high-quality songs. I'm going to update it because there's a lot of deleted songs in there now because I've deleted things I don't think are the best. I want the very best worship songs. They're all made so you can use them on overhead projector by playing the YouTube video if you're connected to the internet with your projector. Okay, or whatever other way you can... Also listen to them on your Android or your Apple phone, whatever you want. So here's the song. Let us play that song now that I received today from...
Wonderful song. And so I want to now share with you what I received today on June the 29th of 2022 of Wednesday. It was Isaiah 44 and 2 Timothy 2. And at first I did not see the theme in these two chapters. 
after just reading them. I only spent a half an hour on these two chapters, and then I preach. So I usually don't make notes. I just paste some of the verses in here. That's about it. But both of these chapters are about the deception of idolatry. In Timothy, that causes division and destroys faith. And so first of all, we'll read Isaiah, starting at verse 18. It says, They have not known nor understood, for he hath shut their eyes that... Pardon me, I just have to make this wider. I did, didn't realize it was, it was cut off here. Okay. That they cannot see, and their hearts that they cannot understand. And none considereth in his heart, neither is there knowledge nor understanding to say, I have burned part of it in the fire. Yea, also I have baked bread upon the coals thereof. I have roasted flesh and eaten it. And shall I make the residue thereof an abomination? Shall I fall down to the stalk of a tree? He feedeth on ashes. A deceived heart hath turned him aside that he cannot deliver his soul, nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? There we see deception. He feedeth on ashes. A deceived heart hath turned him aside, that he cannot deliver his soul, nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? What is feeding on ashes? It is feeding on those things that are not profitable for our eternal benefit for our eternal soul. Our body is very temporal, but our soul and our spirit is eternal. It is part of the ultra-real permanent realm. In fact, it is our ultra-real permanent body, which is far superior, but may I add, than this mere physical shell. I'm studying, I know what the common experience is many, many Christians, and of course even other religions, when they come out of their body and hover around it for a while before they are taken either to a place of glory or otherwise. I know that they experience something that is so much more than anything in this present realm. It is a dimension that one person said it's like the 2D dimension of just merely drawing on a flat surface compared to a 3D that's that much more real and greater. And I'm not going to go into all the detail on that. So if we are feeding on ashes, our soul is starving and we are being taken in a direction where if we enter that realm, our soul won't be beautiful. It will be heading towards a place of torment and of hell. Because the person is not delivering their soul. They're not willing to say, is there not a lie in my right hand? They want to hold on to the things that are giving them temporal fulfillment, but are damaging them. Because those obsessions, whatever they are, that are temporal flirting pleasures, as Jonah said, are lying vanities. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own menace, their own mercy. Idolatry is covetousness. That's what it says in Corinthians. What is covetousness? It is a grasping. 
It is a grasping state of being, kind of like a black hole in outer space. It sucks everything in in a destructive way. It is ever trying to satisfy that empty void that can only be satisfied with God. And so, it creates a state that is destructive around us. It is a hell-contagious state of being that can also create the same in others. That's why it says in the word of God, take heed lest there be any among you having a root of bitterness that would spring up and defile many. What did the word of God say also? It says a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Purge out therefore the old leaven. Look what happened when Achan coveted that stuff against the commandment of God. He coveted those temporal things. It affected the whole nation of Israel so that they lost a battle. And God had mercy to expose the source of that corruption and cut it out. You see, love has integrity. It is pure. It will not tolerate corruption, which is the opposite of love, which is destructive and brings torment to a person's soul even in this world because that grasping state of being can never satisfy. It causes torment. This is clear in the Word of God because it says in 1 John, the perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. What is it saying there? Or uptightness. Fear is a consciousness of loss, that you're going to lose something that causes you to be uptight, so that you're in a grasping state of being, which is a state of covetousness, which is a state that is idolatrous. God is saying that he wants us to know his love, to fill that void, that void And so once we've really received Christ, that is broken. Yes, still we go in a process of sanctification where we may deceive ourselves and grasp after this and this and out of our own strength. But then we see our folly and we immediately repent because we've been born again. There is there immediately the desire to repent. Maybe not in the sense of, uh, if it's a serious sin like King David committed, it took the prophet Nathan but he still immediately repented when he realized what he had done. Maybe he didn't fully realize the implication of it because he was so hypnotized by the temporal desire of that relationship with that woman. We go on and we read here in Isaiah, and it says this, I have blotted out, now I'm skipping over now, I believe. Hmm, I'm only skipping over one verse, so. I'm just wondering whether I should go and open up the actual Bible here on Isaiah and see if I can grab it. Okay, I'm going to just see. If I don't get it, then that's fine. I'll just... uh, Okay, this is probably it here. Yeah, it is. Isaiah 22, 44, verse 21, I miss. It says, Remember these, O Jacob and Israel, for thou art my servant. I have formed thee, Thou art my servant, O Israel, thou shalt not be forgotten of me. Now he's comparing Jacob here to those that are in bondage to idolatry. And he's pointing out that Jacob, you are not in bondage. 
He's redressing Israel as a nation as Jacob because Jacob means deceiver. Israel is still in a state where they are deceived. But even in their state where there's a measure of deception, their heart is set on God and their heart is in the right direction. So God is going to put them through a process. And he points out this in the next verse. He says, I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions. And as a cloud thy sins, return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. See, he's calling them to return unto them because they're falling prey to these deceptions that are idolatrous. And he points out, I've already forgiven you all these sins. How can you do that after I've forgiven you? How can you hurt me like that when I've done my best for you? So he's saying, return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. Sing, O ye heavens, for the Lord hath done it. Shout, ye lower parts of the earth. Break forth into singing, ye mountains. O forest and every tree. Therein, for the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. So he's redeemed him from deception and caused himself to be glorified, to be brought to the place where Jacob becomes Israel. We just had a message on that the other day. Jacob and Esau. And he, Jacob wrestles with the angel. And what happens? He prevails because he says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And this is the state of Jacob. He may have deception, but his heart desires eternal values. His heart is set on those things that are everlasting. And it says in this chapter, and I don't know if it's, yeah, at the beginning, it says, I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. And it's speaking about the condition that is pleasing to God, that we are those that are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. That's in verse 3 of this chapter. It says this in verse 2 first. It says, Thus saith the Lord that made thee and formed thee from the womb, which will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and thou, Jerusalem, which means a little righteous one, whom I have chosen. So he sees they're, the, they're in the right direction, but there's that state of deception. And then he says this, because you have that hunger, like Jacob did, I will not go, let you go unless you bless me, for I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring, and they shall spring up as among the grass, as willows by the water courses. And as Beautiful descriptions here, and I love reading it. It's so wonderful. One shall say, I am the Lord's, and another shall call himself by the name of Jacob, and another shall subscribe, subscribe with his hand unto the Lord and surname himself by the name of Israel. God doesn't seem to think the name of Jacob is a bad name, even though it represents that because it reminds us that we have been redeemed from deception, the deception of idolatry. This is the root of all deception, is to twist our heart, to have a perverted, monotheistic perception of God that is idolatrous like Cain had. And I could go into all of that except to say this. When we do not recognize God's hate and severity towards sin 
in this world and towards our own lives and we look at all this suffering because it is as a result of sin and we start saying, God, why did you allow this and this and this and this? Why are you allowing all this? And we're blaming God and we're beginning to become unthankful in our heart. Then we have a view of God like a dictator that requires appeasement which is a counterfeit perception of God that does not recognize that his severity on sin is the integrity of his love that will not tolerate corruption and that ensures that we can have a destiny without corruption in heaven forever. Let us not be those that deceive ourselves and say, oh, I don't notice any lie. I'm okay. God will accept me just the way I am. No, he's not going to accept you if you are refusing him and rejecting his love when you're living just for yourself and trying to grasp something and not recognizing that you'll never be satisfied until you find God. I'm going to go back here. And I could continue to read here. There's so much in here. But I do need to get to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and read some of that. Oh, this is a beautiful chapter. One could preach on this for a long time, but I only have a limited amount of time. So I want to go to Timothy now and share some of the things that are in Timothy. And probably I should turn there also in the actual, uh, if we can get there, I don't know. It's sometimes hard to... This electronic thing. There we go. Now, it's not that long a chat. Well, it's got 26 verses. That's a bit. So I'll just see what I can point out here in Timothy. It says, beginning in verse 10, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus, with eternal glory. That's what my mom has right now. She is in Christ Jesus and a place of eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. What it's saying is that if we find it too hard to believe certain things, God will still be faithful to fulfill him whether we believe he's going to fulfill it or not in our life. How many times we don't think God's going to come through? But God makes a way where there is no way. I mean, what do you think the children of Israel thought when they had the Egyptians on their back ready to slaughter them and they're facing the Red Sea? God made a way where there was no way. I had the experience in God letting me in to see my mom in person after two years. I said, God, make a way. I have never been able to see my mom. I've been always outside the window. Make a way where there is no way. I prayed it earnestly that morning. And I go and we're outside the window saying, oh, it's so frustrated that we can't see our mom and she looks close to death. And the nurse comes up to us. We didn't ask her a thing. She says, do you want to come in and see her? Yes, I said, we do. And we went around and we wondered if the other nurse that uh, allows people to come in would let us. And she said, oh yeah, no problem. We didn't have to take any tests or anything. We saw our mother, and we were able to hold her and love her the day before she transitioned into eternal glory. We, there, oh, we saw her two days, but they, then a nurse came and was upset we were there after the other nurses let us in. 
Then they had a meeting and said, no, we can't come in. The doctor has to declare that she's close to death. Then you will, we will allow you in without your vaccines to see her. Well, the doctor was wrong because he didn't think she was close to death and she went. So we didn't get to be there when she went. But we got to love her really a lot the day before. Well, you see, God makes a way where there is no way. And God wants us to be those that are willing to suffer with him, that we might reign with him, that are willing to die with him. This is the issue of idolatry, is the unwillingness to die and to identify with the death of Christ in the sense that we acknowledge our unworthiness, that we deserve to die as Christ died, that we deserve worse, we deserve hell. And so we cry out of that awareness of acknowledging our deception instead of ignoring it, and we cry out and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And we begin to identify with him in his death, but also in his resurrection, that he can he lives so that we can receive mercy and forgiveness. Let me go on here, and I just want to read some more things here. It says in verse 23, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. There are believers that are taken captive by the devil. They are tormented by the devil. They're in a prison house. They may be Jacob, but they're in a place where maybe they have what some call an orphan spirit, a rejection complex. And so when someone reproves them, they take it the wrong way, even though the person may have a pure motive in reproving them, and it's hard for them to receive it, and they feel like they're being rejected by them. And then they say, oh, I'm offended that you would say those terrible things to me. Therefore, I don't ever see you again. You know, Christ says we're to receive one another as he received us as sinners. If we've really seen how great God's mercy is to us, why would we not, even if a brother and sister may hurt us, recognize that overall their heart is in the right place and receive them as Christ received us? What causes that is a state of fear, the fear of rejection that we're trying to fill with acceptance from others Instead of recognizing that we are accepted by God, if we have a right perception of his love, we need to recognize that he loves us. And therefore, we should be able to see that that person that may be misunderstanding us, their heart is in the right place and they love us. And even if they don't love us very much, we should still love them enough to have a foot washing and go to them and say, listen, though I feel hurt by you, I want you to know I appreciate this about you 
and that I really love you, and I ask you to pray because I have this fault and that fault. Would you pray that I'd be healed from these things? And we need to love them despite their faults and receive them. That's how we overcome, is with love. Love overcomes idolatry, brothers and sisters. Love conquers fear, and fear is what the enemy uses to draw us into his snare so that we imagine all kinds of things that aren't true about our brothers and sisters because the enemy augments our imagination because he has a foothold there because of the fear. The orphan spirit that we haven't dealt with. And God needs to show us that. We need to say, God, search me and know my heart. Show me the things that are not of you in my life. Lord, I want to repent of everything. And if we have that attitude, to take responsibility where we failed God and to say, Lord, against thee and against thee only have I sinned in this matter in the way I treated my brother or sister. I should have loved them and won them to you. When we see unsaved people that cause us to be fearful and to try to protect ourselves, we need to do the same thing. We need to go and begin to have a, ask God to give us a burden for their soul that they'd get saved and show love to them in return. It is through love that we conquer and are freed from the spirit of idolatry and deception. And so this is the message that God is saying today. And I did ask for further insight with another chapter, believe it or not, <laughs> although I see it very clearly in these two chapters, that the spirit of idolatry in Second Timothy is causing division because these people are making issues over non-issues because they're proud. And a person that is proud or opinionated is a, known as a heretic because they just want people to look up to them. They've got some kind of wrong motive there. Sin is in their lives. And so they come along and they have this masquerade of being spiritual, but really they can't go and humble themselves before God and repent or do, do it before their brothers and sisters. And so they cause others to be defiled and they themselves are tormented. But in Hosea 14 here, let me just read a little bit. It's a short chapter. O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by that iniquity. Take with you words and turn to the Lord and say unto him, Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously, so we will render the calves of our lips. Asher shall not save us. We will not ride upon horses. Neither will we say any more to the works of our hands. Ye are our gods, for in thee the fatherless find mercy. Now, brothers and sisters, some of those that are fatherless have an orphan spirit. They've been rejected by their fathers or their mothers. And they need to overcome that, not in their strength, but by crying out for mercy. God, I can't love this person. Help me to love this person. Take away that mindset and that heart set of rejection that I would know that it doesn't matter what people think. It matters that I am loved and accepted of you. Help me to see that I am. And it goes on to say, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for mine anger is turned away from him. I will be as the Jew unto Israel. He shall grow as the lily and cast forth his roots as Lebanon. His branches shall spread and his beauty shall be as the olive tree. 
and his smell as Lebanon. They that dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall revive as the corn and grow as the vine. The scent thereof shall be as the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim shall say, What have I to do any more with idols? I have heard him and observed him, and I am like a green fir tree. For he is the fruit. He, for me is thy, from me is thy fruit found. You see, he finally found out where the true fulfillment was. It was in his relationship with God. From me is thy fruit found. It wasn't in your idols, Ephraim. It was in me that you're going to find your fulfillment. Who is wise? And he shall understand these things, prudent, and he shall know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the just shall walk in them, but transgressors shall fall therein. So that is the message for today, brothers and sisters. It is a call for the body of Christ to repent of idolatry, of hardness of heart. And this comes in the form of loving the things of the world. And what delivers us from loving the things of the world is first, genuine conversion, where we really see our need of God's mercy. And then we repent and realize that our satisfaction isn't in all the things that the enemy uses. He uses the wines of this world to desensitize us. Some people, it's actual alcohol. Others, the wine might be watching sports, spending hours watching sports. You know, the Word of God says we're to redeem the time. And if we're spending hours of our life watching sports instead of having a life of prayer, that is idolatrous. And I am sorry, but I am not going to apologize for people in leadership that continue to talk like it's fine to just talk about the hockey game and everything else in a place of sacred worship when those things that are highly esteemed among men are an abomination in the sight of God. It is time for the body of Christ around the world to repent of these things. I don't want to put people in bondage and say it's wrong if you go and watch sports. But be careful that you're only doing it in the measure God allows and that you're not being drawn in with your emotions and everything else to being totally caught up with these things so that you're not living in a love relationship with God that is fruitful. I have written a book called God, Headship, and Body Invasion which has in it everything that is needed in a local assembly and it's 270 some odd pages I forget how long exactly. It is in an outline format but it gives everything you need to do in your local assembly so that you do not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your local assembly. And it also applies to you as an individual that you enter into that fullness. Then you're going to really experience living a life that is abundant instead of one that is empty. Oh, brothers and sisters, oh, everyone that thirsteth, come you to the waters. Come by without money, without price. Wherefore would you spend on that which doesn't satisfy. Don't hewn out for yourselves cisterns that can hold no water. When Christ says, whoever believes with their life into me out of their innermost being will flow rivers of living water. God bless you all. Thank you for listening to this message.